Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Anchor Baptist Church, and if you're visiting with us today for the first time, or the first time in a long time, we'd like to warmly welcome you. And uh, if you did not receive a welcome packet when you came in, I uh, hope that you'll get one of those um, at the end of the service from the welcome desk. And uh, if you'd like us to reach out to you during the week, uh, please take a moment to fill out one of the connection cards and put that in the box in the back, and we'll uh, try to set up a time to meet with you. Uh, we have a couple of announcements, and then Pastor Josh will open with our opening scripture. Good morning. Uh, there is a business meeting tonight following the evening service. If you would like a, uh, a budget sheet, that there is several that are at the Welcome Center. My wife and I will also be in the narthex following the morning service, handing those out. So please find one of us, and we'll make sure that you can get one. Um, this Thursday, there's a ladies' meeting at 7 p.m. They're working through the um, Worthy book. And then teen activity, there is a consent form for teens that the, that the teens need to sign out that is also on the teen bulletin board. There are several events on the all-church bulletin board that can be signed up for, sportsmen's banquet, senior luncheon, the next men's grill um, are all there to be signed up. Um, I want to make a special mention about the sportsmen banquet. Uh, to purchase the tickets, you will need to reach out to First Baptist Church of Calvert County there um, and having to pay through them. So you'll have to reach out there. Pastor Josh. Before I read the opening scripture, if you would like to talk to one of the teenagers, I think they had a great time. Many of them went on the teen winter retreat and they had some fun games, some great food, and they enjoyed some good preaching. So if you hear them, they're, they're very excited. And it was a great time. Uh, camp is always a good opportunity to get young people. I like to use the acronym of CAMP. It's a Christian atmosphere for the ministry of preaching. And I think God uses CAMP because they're separated from so many distractions that we have today. So whether it's a winter camp or a summer camp, it's all very, very good, worth the investment that invests in lives to change them for the rest of their life and impact eternity. So if you see some excited teens running around, explaining some games or some things that seem odd, just ask them about it. <laughs> they, they, they learned a lot. And I told them this morning, we were only there 48 hours. And they were like, what? All those games? They heard six messages and probably like a zillion games all within less than 24 hours. It's incredible. But anyways, so if you're excited, you hear them. Uh, it is exciting for them to want to grow in the Lord. And it's an excellent opportunity to do so. And if you become a youth pastor, you get to go over and over and over again. I just never grow up, obviously. <laughs> some of you get that later. I better open our service with some scripture in Psalm 119, starting with verse 5. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commands. I will praise thee with the uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. 
With my lips have I declared all the judgments of my mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Our theme for worship today, let's rejoice in God's grace and respond wisely to it. Please let's all bow together for a word of prayer and uh, commit this service to the Lord. Father, we're so grateful for this congregation that's assembled this morning. And I recognize that every person in this room carries unique burdens and challenges And I pray that as we gather around the word of God, that we would be able to have quieted hearts. Father, help us to have a passion to know you personally and to walk in submission to the word of God. We pray that the Holy Spirit will take the word and impress it upon our hearts. Help us to understand the weight of these truths. And as we think about how to practically live in the light of scripture, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Encourage us where we may be discouraged. Uplift us where we need that. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Convict us where we need to be convicted. And Father, we pray that as we worship as a body, that worship would be very sweet, be very Christ-centered, would be very unifying for us as a body of Christians. As we give, may we give from our hearts. May we give with a desire that we would honor you as you have blessed us. As we fellowship with one another, may we encourage one another in the Lord. I pray that today would be a sweet day of Christ-centered worship and encouragement. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Please stand with me. Open your hymn books to hymn number 445. Standing on the Promises. We'll sing all four verses of hymn number 445. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God my Savior
We'll sing all four verses of hymn number 411.
scripture reading for this morning will be found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. The scriptures say, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye, therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body is also full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word.
continue our singing this morning, open our hymn books to hymn number 397, 397. Let's all stand because we will be singing the first two verses of 397. On the third verse, we will take a moment and we will greet our neighbors and then we'll come back and sing that last verse together. I'm pressing on the upward way. Complete in the 192 in the blue book. We'll sing all four verses.
Thank you so much for that. Our children who are junior church age can be dismissed with the help of their parents. And I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and let's all turn together to Luke chapter 11 this morning. Luke chapter 11 and we're looking at verses 33 through 36 together. And read the text, we'll bow together for a word of prayer and then we're going to dig into uh, a very important topic as we are continuing to work our way through the book of Luke. Here's what our Lord says. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body is full of darkness." Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Please let's bow together for a word of prayer and then dig into this topic, this passage of Scripture this morning. Father, as we think about your word I pray that we would understand the way that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking of access to truth. Help us to understand the way he is speaking about the heart of a person. And Father, I pray that as we listen to the word of God, our hearts would become tender and very soft to your word. May we recognize your authority, your right to command, and our responsibility to submit. May we see that your word, in fact, it is good and it is sweet to the soul and it gives light to the understanding. And in fact, you love us very much and that is why you have given us access to truth. Father, help me as I communicate this text to do it in a way that is very simple, easy to understand, consistent with the text in front of us. And I pray that you will use it to accomplish your purposes in our life. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to give you a summary statement for the text in front of us. God loves people and he has a purpose for providing each person with access to light. However, he warns us of the devastating consequences of a heart that is apathetic to the truth. Now, this this statement that is made in Luke chapter 11 is also recorded in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And it appears as we work, at, work through the passage in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus is emphasizing the fact that the Christian is light. Okay, So he's not emphasizing that we need to be light. It's that we are light. We are like a city that is set on a hill. And it's impossible for a city that is set on a hill in the darkness to be concealed because by virtue of it being light in the darkness and by virtue of where it is on a hill, everybody can see it. And so his emphasis in the Sermon on the Mount is that as light, don't try to hide your light. Well, he uses the same kind of analogy in Luke chapter 11, but the emphasis is in fact slightly different. He is not so much emphasizing that the believer is light, though in fact that is true, But he's emphasizing the intent for which God gives light. Why does God send light to people? That's the question. 
And the simple answer is, well, he, he gives light because he wants people to see. He wants them to have the capacity to be able to understand truth and to respond to that truth and then to live in the light of that truth and to be transformed by the truth. God loves people and really at the heart of him choosing to reveal himself to people is his love for people. And I think that that really is the emphasis of these verses. But there's another side to what Jesus is saying as well. Because he's not only emphasizing the fact that he gives light and he gives it for a reason, but you and I respond to the light that we have access to. And when we respond to the light that we have access to, that response is going to affect our souls in a very significant way. And what he's going to say is, your heart for the truth or your heart against the truth is either going to help you to see things clearer or it's going to dull your ability to see. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. As we dig into this passage, I think the simple fact is that God wants us to have a heart that is tender to truth. That's what he wants. Every person in this room, he wants you to have a heart that is submissive to him. He wants you to have a heart that is embracing truth, that loves truth, that wants to know God. One of the reasons that we have preaching and is so central to our services is that preaching is supposed to get down into the heart and it's supposed to motivate us to express worship to God, whether in song, whether in the way that we communicate with one another, most certainly the way that we live as we leave this place. God wants our heart to be tender to truth. So the first thing I want you to notice in the text in front of us is found in verse 33, and it is that God has revealed himself because he loves people. Now, God has a lot of reasons to not love people, just to be very frank. He has to command you and he has to command me to love people because we do not naturally love people save ourselves. But God loves people. Here is the holy righteous, perfect God who created everything, who knows every single idle thought that we have ever thought. He knows every single word that's come out of our mouth. He's seen how we relate to other people. He sees how we relate to him as our creator and sustainer and Lord and savior. Yet he loves us. He loves us because he's good. Not because we're good. Not because we're lovely. Because he is good. And God has communicated truth because he loves us. And I want you to see it in the text. Verse 33, it says this. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. Now, to put it very simply, he says, if you light a candle, you do it for a reason. That's what he's saying. And so if you've done it for a reason, you're going to put the light in a place where it benefits those that you want to have access to the light. I get up really, really early in the winter. You know why I get up so early in the winter? It's because as soon as I wake up, my mind is immediately thinking about all the things that I want to do or need to do in the day. So if I wake up at four o'clock, I'm getting up at four o'clock. But you know what usually wakes me up? It's the cold in the house. And the reason that that cold wakes me up is because we use a wood fire. That's how we heat our house. So get up really early in the morning, go down there, get that fire going. Why do I do that? Well, I do it because I want the house to be warm. I do that because I like the warmth. 
My wife likes the warmth. My kids like the warmth. We want a warm house, a cozy fire. And so I get up early and I go and I do that because I have a purpose. And that purpose is not just for my benefit, it's for the entire family's benefit. In the same way, God gives us truth. And it's not for his benefit, it's for our benefit. It's because he loves us. It's because he cares about us. In Christ's illustration, he's saying people light candles for a reason. And that reason is to illuminate a dark room for the benefit of everyone in the room. This is why they do not cover the light when they put it on. It would make no sense for us to put all these light bulbs in this building, in this room. And as soon as church starts, we just shut off the lights and we say, well, we're just going to sit here in the dark and we're going to do church. You say, well, we could pay our electric bill, can't we? Somebody designed and put all these lights here, didn't they? Somebody put in all those light bulbs. Why wouldn't we just turn on the lights? It wouldn't make any sense to not do it. And Jesus is saying in the same way, it would make no sense for somebody to light a candle and then cover it. He's got a reason. His point is, God has a reason for shining light into the darkness. I want to read to you a couple of scriptures that I think really capture this so very, very well. Luke chapter 2, verse 30, 31, and 32. And this is Zechariah speaking, excuse me, Simeon speaking after the birth of Christ and Jesus has been shown in the temple. Simeon states, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. This next statement is very significant. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Why did the Father send the Son into the world? It was to save people. It's because people are stumbling in the darkness and God wants them to walk in the light. And the only way that people stumbling in the darkness can walk in the light is if they are rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection, through them being regenerated by the power of the Spirit of God and by the Holy Spirit indwelling them and causing them and pressing them and motivating them and moving them to walk in the light. Acts chapter 13, verse 47. The Lord commanded us saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles that thou shouldest be for the salvation unto the ends of the earth. Do you see the intent of God's heart? That's why the scriptures say that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Even when we're commanded to pray for those who are kings and all who are in authority, he says, so that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. And the next statement is, because God's desire is that all men be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. It's not just that we can live easy lives. It's so that the truth can go out into the darkness of the world. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is probably the greatest of all the statements. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. Now that statement, I love it because it's almost like it's taking the intent of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, that you are the light of the world, 
And he takes what is stated in Luke chapter 11, that God lights the world for a reason. He blends those two things together and he says, you have been walking in the darkness and God has exposed you to the light by his grace. And now you have embraced the light and he's channeling that light through you. Do you see how he's taking all of those applications and he's kind of like blending them into this one statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He shined in our hearts to illumine the darkness of the world around us. Simply put, God's desire for people is to hear the truth and to be changed by it. That's what he wants. I know last week we really kind of emphasized the heaviness of the folly of rejecting the truth when it's given. This is emphasizing the goodness of God's intent behind the giving. And there is a warning there as well. That's really the emphasis. It's a slightly different emphasis. It's a very positive emphasis. He's not callous toward people in their unconverted state. All people are naturally in this state of ignorance and moral darkness, yet he still loves them and desires their salvation. I'll put it like this. There's nobody in this room, nobody in this room that would be saved today if it hadn't been for the kindness of God coming to you in the darkness. Nobody. God commanded the light to shine out of darkness and shined into our hearts. He says, how can they believe on him whom they've not heard? How can they hear without a preacher? And then he says, they've been sent. You see how there's all this connection? You can't believe unless you hear the truth. And oh, by the way, God sent lots and lots of people so that you could hear the truth. And that's why you heard it. And that's why you've believed it. And so you step back and you say, God, I'm saved because you're gracious. On every single level, that's what he's saying. He loves people and he desires them to be saved. And that is the focus of the first thing that Jesus says. The second thing I want you to notice is found in verse 34. Spiritual understanding starts with a heart that wants to know the truth. Now to put it very simply, if a person is not a Christian, the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. That's what Paul writes. He says they're foolishness to him. Neither can he discern them because they are spiritually discerned. And so what he's emphasizing is that a person who's not a Christian, when they open up the Bible and they read it, they're just not going to understand the significance of those truths because there is something preliminary that's foundational that is the first piece to them being able to understand and comprehend all these other truths. That first piece It's the gospel. And we're going to get into this in just a moment. But here's what he says in verse 34. He says, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, and he's not talking about somebody being single versus being married, okay? But he has the idea that a person has the ability to see things distinctly. That's single. Thy whole body is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, Thy whole body is full of darkness. Is there anybody in this room who has ever experienced what it was like to be blind for a period of time? Anybody like that? Okay, I see some hands. I have experienced this. When I was in Ghana, we used to use inverters so that we could power fans when the the power was off. And, and it, was, it was great. You, know, you had a car battery and you'd charge the car battery and you'd charge it for like six, seven, eight hours. And then you could like run fans in your house and do whatever you needed to do. You know, not like the big stuff, but the little stuff, you could do that. And so we regularly did this all the time. 
Have you ever looked on the top of a battery where it says, beware of the potential for explosion? Anybody ever seen that? It's true. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I learned this firsthand. Because one day, I'm sitting in my office. I'd been charging this battery for six, seven, eight hours. I was like, oh, I need to, I need to take that thing off a of charge. It's probably getting hot. So I walked over. The genius that I am, don't ever do this. Learn from me. I didn't unplug it first. I just removed, I removed one of the connectors. You know what that thing did? It blew up in my face. Sounded like a shotgun blast. And I had this battery exploding and I had acid all over my face, my arms, down my legs, and in my eye. And I remember running, stumbling, in pain, to a bathroom sink, just washing my face. And my wife said, are you okay? And I said, I don't know. For a whole week, I couldn't see. I could not see. Now listen, the only thing that changed in me was that eye right there. That's the only thing that changed. The eye was damaged, and because the eye was damaged, I couldn't pick up my Bible and read it anymore. I had no idea how long it was going to be like that. Couldn't see my wife, my kids. It was a really disheartening feeling. I can see now, okay? I, can see. I see everybody here with both eyes, all right? God is very kind to me. I went to a specialist and had to pay an extra price because I was a foreigner and all that kind of stuff and eventually got the care I needed. But if your eye becomes damaged, guess what? Your life will never be the same. It will never be the same. Things that you do and you take for granted right now every single day, you will not be able to do them anymore. If, if you love to read, you won't be able to, you'll be listening to audiobooks a lot. If you enjoy seeing your spouse and your children, your grandchildren, all those things, you won't be able to see it anymore. If you enjoy beautiful things, it will be gone because your eye's been damaged. And what he says, he says, there is a window into your soul and that window is like the eye. It's your heart. Your heart can be sensitive to truth and you embrace the truth and as the truth sets into your heart it just illumines your understanding it's like you can see things so clearly or you can be resistant to it and you can resist what you're given access to and if you do that whatever ability you have to see becomes desensitized it's like a person who gets cataracts it's like a person who has an eye injury. It's like a person who loses an ability that they used to have. Notice how he states it. He says, if your eye is evil, then thy body also is full of darkness. Now, what is Christ's illustration? If someone has proper, a properly functioning eye, they can see things clearly as they are. But if their eye has been damaged in some way, then they are blinded and incapable of seeing what is around them. Nothing around them has changed, but their ability to perceive it is gone. It's pretty amazing. You have a person who has the ability to see. He looks around. He can see every single person here. He can see what they're wearing. Uh, he can see everything about this room. But if that person has a damaged eye, they're sitting on that front row. They look around. They don't see anything. Nothing around them has changed. It's their eyes. That can happen to your heart. You could have people sitting in this congregation for 20 years 
And one of them is embracing truth and they love the truth and they're growing and thriving and they're maturing and their understanding of the world around them and their understanding of themselves, the understanding of God, it is growing, it is maturing, they're becoming more and more like Christ. And somebody in the exact same family listening to the exact same preaching and teaching, the exact same fellowship, all factors being the same, save one, the heart, they're declining. You could have a husband and wife in that position. You could have siblings in that position. You could have one family versus another family in that situation. The fault is not the environment and it's not the access that you have the truth. It's what you do with it. It's the heart. A heart that says yes. A heart that submits. A heart that embraces. A heart that loves and longs. And a heart that says no. The difference is with us. Maybe a way to put it is personal responsibility. I can't make you do right. You can't make me do right. I can't make my spouse do right. And she can't make me do right. I can't make my kids do right. I can make them, I can make them follow my rules, but I can't make their heart love the truth. And so his illustration is the eye changes everything. His point is that the disposition of the heart determines a person's ability or inability to understand what God has revealed. We will not understand the truth without a heart for it. And there are a lot of scriptures, especially in the Psalms, where David or whoever the psalmist is, is expressing to God words like, I hunger for the truth, I long for the truth, I love the truth. He says, I want to know the truth. Listen to some of these statements. Psalm 107, verses 8 through 11. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. He satisfieth the longing soul. That's an amazing statement. Now we tend to think, oh, somebody is hungry and now he's given them food. And that, you know, a physical, that would be a physical analogy. But I don't think that's what he's emphasizing. It's a longing soul. This is an internal thing. He wants the truth. It's like a person in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, he is hungering and he is thirsting for righteousness. That is an affectional kind of statement. He satisfieth the longing soul. He filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Next statement is interesting. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Did you catch that? So the one who is longing, he fills. But there are some who sit in the darkness. And the way he puts it is he says, they are bound in affliction of irons. They are slaves. And the reason is because they rebelled against the word of God. They condemned the counsel of the most high. Another way to put it is, you have one person who experiences the fullness of the joy that's available to them because they embrace the word, they're hungering for it. And another person, they're in bondage to their passions because they resist. They say, no, 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 no. The difference is the heart. Psalm 119, verse 20. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day long. And the simple fact of these truths is that they emphasize we've got to love the word of God. We don't just read the Bible because 
it's something we check off on a list. Oh, I'm going to feel guilty because dad's going to ask, did you read your Bible this morning? I'm like, no, I didn't. Well, before you come down the stairs and get ready for school, I want you to read your Bible for this amount of time. That's what we're talking about. Somebody says, I want to read the word. I want to be in the Bible. I want to understand what it says. There is a sense in which there's an affectional longing to know truth. And the result of that is what? The heart begins to understand. We need the Spirit of God to work in our hearts. And really, we have to make a distinction between those who are believers and those who are not believers. Because the difference is huge, okay? For instance, for the unbeliever, what does he need? He needs to repent and believe the gospel. He needs to turn to Christ. He needs to place their faith in the finished work of Christ alone. And so in John 16, verse 8, it says that he, the Spirit of God, will reprove, that word means to convict, or to convince the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. So if a person's not a Christian, what is the Holy Spirit doing? Is he teaching him how to treat his wife and his kids and teach him how to live the Christian life? The answer is no. He's incapable of living the Christian life. He's not a Christian. He's convincing him that he is a sinner who needs a savior. He is broken and undone and his righteousness is a filthy rag. And the only hope that he has is the redemptive work of Christ. Sin conviction of sin they didn't believe on him righteousness i am helpless i need a savior not a coach not a helper not assistance not some encouragement you could do better you could do better you can earn your way no 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 no. i need a savior i need somebody to rescue me from my broken condition and judgment it's to motivate us to turn to god the Bible says that it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> the point is, you want to know what is right and wrong, it starts with recognizing who he is and who you are. <laughs> and the fear of the Lord, was it do? It drives us to God and says, I need your answers. I need to do things your way. And he starts with saying, you need to be reconciled to me through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about this issue, the fact is when, a, when an unbeliever comes in contact with the truth and the Spirit of God is beginning to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, they can resist it or they can embrace it. They can do one or the other. And, and, and basically I'll say this, when we respond, something changes. For the believer, it's a new heart. I love Ezekiel 36. It says, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you now he's talking to the nation of Israel in these verses this is a prophetic text but he's talking about how a group of people who were rebellious against him had walked away from God he's going to regenerate people massive numbers of people and 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 how you will know that those people are believers is there's going to be a new spirit put in their heart he says, I'm going to take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. It's an amazing passage of scripture. What it's basically saying is when a person becomes a Christian, their disposition toward God has changed. They are softened towards him. They, they stuck their fist in his, in his face and said, I don't believe you. I don't want your, uh, your instructions or any of those things. And now he's a Christian. He says, Oh, how I love by the law is my meditation all the day long. I want to know God. 
I want to think about how good he is. And, and they start reflecting on all the things that he's done for them. And there's gratitude and there's humility and there's motivation instead of resistance and resistance and rebellion and dishonesty and concealing things. No, it's a totally different type of mindset. A love for God, a love for his word, being transformed through the renewing of, of his mind. That's the point. We need to understand why Christ taught in parables. You ever ask yourself the question, why did Jesus teach in parables? Well, we teach our kids, well, it's because these are illustrations. And that is true, but there's actually a little more to it than just these are illustrations. Because when you read a parable, I ask you this question, do you immediately understand it? If you do, you don't immediately understand all of them. I guarantee you, you don't. And you say, well, am I just like a little more dense than everybody else? Well, no. The purpose of a parable was to illustrate, but you had to work in order to understand. You had to contemplate it. You might have to ask a question to the person that gave it and say, I don't get it. Can you explain it? And when they do, you go, oh, I get it. It makes sense. In fact, when you're reading the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter, chapter one, he talks about the dark sayings of those who are older. You say, what does it mean? In other words, some of the ways that, that older people give wisdom isn't just, boom, right there in your face. They give you an illustration. And if you want to know what they're saying, you're going to think about it. And if you think about it, when you get it, you really get it. That's the sense. And so he was illustrating the truth to make it memorable. We could also say this. He was veiling the illustration to weed out those who didn't want to, want to listen. So when he's teaching a parable, there are some people who say, I don't want to hear this. I'm going to walk away. This is, this is ridiculous. And he says, all right, you have no heart for the truth. I won't give you more information. You can come back later if you have a different mind about this. But he veiled it to illustrate it to make it more memorable once people understood. And they desired to know the truth. And amazingly, a lot of the things that Jesus taught, it will state in the text, it will say, then his disciples remembered these things after he was resurrected and they understood. That's great. Because that's what, that's what parables and proverbs do. You go back and then you get it. And when you get it, it sticks. <laughs> Truth number three. It is impossible, or excuse me, not impossible. It is possible to regress in our understanding of the truth. I wish that the Christian life worked this way. I get saved and I'm at this level. And then I go to this level. And then I go to this level. And it's just this endless growth. Maybe I'm different than you, but that's not the way it works for me. <laughs> I get this and I grow. And then I kind of slide a little bit. And then I grow and I slide a little bit. But God continues working in me. And he continues working in you. And those moments, those seasons where we begin to slide back and we begin to regress and we begin to think less like a Christian and more like we did before we were saved. You know what that's evidence to? That's evidence to the way we're responding to the truth that we're coming in contact with. Notice what he says in verse 35. He says, Take heed therefore that the light which is in thee be not darkness. This is an amazing statement. You better watch out that what you know you don't lose. <laughs> what you have access to, what God has graciously exposed you to, you don't lose it. That's what he's saying. In the illustration, he's saying if someone can see, they need to guard against losing that ability. 
maybe to put it another way, don't charge your battery in your office. All right, I guess I learned a lesson. I don't think I'll do that again. I mean, even, even if I've got a jump, jumper cable, a car battery, I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm like doing this thing over here, you know? I'm like, I do not want to have that happen again because I know what can happen. You know, we laugh, but the truth is you start, you make decisions differently or you see somebody doing that. You're like, hey, I, you know, I'm not trying to be like overbearing here, but that's not a good idea and I'll tell you why. When you realize that you could lose something and you value it, you guard it. It's it's the truth. When something matters to you, you guard it. And so Christ is saying in his illustration, if someone can see, they need to guard against losing that ability. His point is it's possible to have a basic level of understanding and and to regress. We all encounter truth with some basic elementary understandings. And, and, and we kind of touched on this last week. And again, I go back to the believer versus the unbeliever. Everybody has certain basic information that they're responsible to respond to. For instance, in Romans 1.19, that which may be known of God is manifest in them. God has showed it unto them. He's talking about everybody. He's not just talking about Christians. We certainly know that because of where the passage goes as he descends down that, that, that text of scripture. Or in Romans chapter 2 verse 14, he says that the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Now, I like listening to political commentary. I, maybe it's a bad thing, I don't know. But I like listening to uh, to political commentators, especially those who have a lot of historical background. And what's amazing is some of the people that I listen to, I know for a fact they're not Christians. And they don't say, well, the Bible says, and then they quote it. But you would be absolutely amazed how many times what they're saying conforms to what the Bible says. And you say, why is that? Because what is true is true. What is true is true. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, there are certain things that are (laughs) self-evident. There are certain things that if you stop and you look at them, you will recognize, well, that's right and that's wrong. Okay? There are certain things that people understand intuitively. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 2. He's saying whether you're a Jew that has the law of God or you're a Gentile that's never come in contact with the Old Testament, you both have a conscience. And he goes on to say, he says that the Gentiles which do not have the law do by nature the things contained in the law, not having the law, this is a law unto themselves, showing the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness. Now he's not saying, well, that the Gentiles, they're more righteous than the Jewish people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's evidence as moral creatures that they know this is right and this is wrong. Even though God never said this is right, this is wrong. That's what he's saying. Those basic levels of information can be acted on one way or the other. And a person who understands these things on their most basic level has to decide they're going to respond to it. A person could respond in humility and have clarity, and guess what? They're eventually going to believe in the gospel. They, it might not happen immediately, It might start with saying there's a God, he created the world, and the God who created the world is the same God that gave us the word. And when I read the Bible, it speaks so clearly and so specifically about me and the rest of humanity 
It speaks so transparently and so honestly. And when I read it, there's a conviction and there's an understanding. This is true. There's a resonating of the truth. Now, how do people get that way? Well, God does it. He works in them. But as they're responding to that basic level of information, what happens? Then they come in contact with Jesus. And they start understanding what the Bible says about Jesus. And they start investigating the claims that Jesus made. And as they start thinking about the things like the disciples and the apostle, you know, the apostle Paul and all those kinds of things, they start going, I don't think there's any other logical way to explain this other than Jesus really came, he really died, he really rose from the dead. And this confirms what was talked about hundreds and hundreds of years ago in the Old Testament. And as they work their way through this, eventually they're going to come to the point where they say, I believe this. I embrace this. This is my only hope. I'm going to trust in this. This person starts with response to truth. And God just keeps working and working and working. And some people, they get saved after hearing the gospel two or three times. And there are some people, it takes years of them working through things and God working in them. And they finally, they get it. But there's a totally other possibility. Somebody can take the truth and they can say, I don't like this. Push it down. Suppress it. And, when they, and the way that he puts it is, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Literally, when they have access, they say, I don't like it. Push it away. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to consider the implications of it. And then the next statement is, and their foolish heart becomes darkened. The believer... And the unbeliever can both respond right or wrong to truth. One will be saved and one will become hardened. One will grow or one will regress. Unbelievers can become desensitized to the truth. Titus 1.15. He says, unto the pure all things are pure. Unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Even their mind and conscience is defiled. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Have you ever burned yourself so badly that when it healed, you lost the ability to feel? This finger right here, I have a, I have a cut. When I was in the ninth grade, I was doing something Genius for a ninth grader, I guess. And I had gotten a brand new pocket knife and uh, I cut myself very deeply. And here I am, 40 years old, I still can't feel on the side of my finger. Isn't that, isn't that unbelievable to think about? I've lost the ability to feel because it, of how deep that cut was. Our heart can become desensitized. It can get to the place where the same truth that used to like prick and convict, and we felt uncomfortable. We said, I need to respond to this. We hear it, and just like, it's like, it, like we didn't even hear it. We don't even care. It can happen. Believers can become spiritually immature and need to relearn the basic principles. Hebrews 5.11. He says, ye are dull of hearing. Now, I've got to say that this is kind of interesting. Going to, on a, on a, on a, a, a teen senior retreat. Now, I don't listen to uh, teen evangelists <laughs> very much, but I remember what it was like to sit in these kinds of sessions when I was a teenager. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening, and I'm taking notes, and sometimes I stop and ask myself, how did I respond as a 14-year-old to the things that my son's hearing? 
the young men and the young ladies in our church. And I, and, I, and I go back in my mind and I think about the conviction that, boom, it nailed my heart on some of the points that were made. I say, do I still respond to the word like that? Ask yourself that question sometime. I mean, don't go on a teen winter retreat so that you can ask yourself the question. But you know, sit in a service and ask yourself, when that topic is touched on, was there a time when I used to be so convicted about that and I was so tender that, and now I don't even care? That's dangerous. In Hebrews 5.11, he says, you are dull of hearing. When for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and are become as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You see words like, ye are dull, ye have become, you now need. Do you see how that's not what they were, but that's what they are. This can happen to us as Christians. So the question I want to ask us, is what's the point? How do you put all this together? How should we respond? Obviously, this is all about response to the word of God. How should we respond to the word of God? Well, to put it in the simplest way I can, God wants you to have a tender heart toward his word. And this morning, you have an opportunity to have a tender or a hardened heart to truth. It's that simple. You say, well, how do I have a tender heart? Submit to what God's showing you. Ask them to forgive you where he has, he has nailed out a point. If you got to go and make an issue right, go and do it. If you just need to spend time alone reflecting on what the Lord is teaching you, do it. Or you could just let it blow you right by. We've got to have a tender heart to truth. Let's not take lightly the opportunities that he has given us to encounter truth. It's really easy for us to go, you know what? I'm thankful for my church. I like hanging out with these people. They're nice people. And we have nice people in our church. I love our church. It's a, it's a, it's a fellowshipping kind of a church. But it's easy for us to become consumers where we like the nice stuff and we just ignore the hard stuff. We ought to ask the question, God, why did you let me come in contact with this message? What are you trying to teach me? Let's not miss the underlying principle that motivates him to give us access to the truth. He loves us. If you question that God loves you, then this message is proof that he does. It absolutely is. You say, well, well, that's a really easy thing for you to say. You know, here I am, I'm sitting here. You don't know why I came here today. And that's true. I don't know why you came here. But you have come in, access to the, you have come in contact with the truth and it's God's way of turning on the light because he loves you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to enjoy the blessings of walking with him. He doesn't give you the truth because he's trying to tease you. He doesn't give you the truth because he's trying to smack you upside the head and say, I have nothing to do with you while he walks away. He brings you in contact with truth because he loves you and he's drawing you to himself. He is personally dealing with us for our good. So let's not resist or miss the many ways he does this. When you experience the tough consequences of life, we all do. Guess what? Take the time to learn what God's teaching you. Yeah, I was sowing like this for a long time and this is what I reap. I better stop. I better take the time to help people who are starting to sow like I was. Like my son, like my daughter, like somebody that's a younger person that I have in, come in contact with, a young Christian. I better take the time to help them. 
He does this through the word of God. He does this through the church body. He does this through the changing seasons of our life. You know, every season of life has, has good and it has bad. There are things that are hard about being a teenager that are not nearly as hard as being a 30-year-old or being a 70-year-old. There are certain blessings for every single season of life and there are certain challenges for every single season of life. And God uses the changing of those seasons to draw out things that are in us that need to be confronted so that we can grow and mature. Sometimes just hearing the word of God read brings conviction, warms the soul. I've had people come up to me and they're saying, and they'll say things like, Pastor, when you read the text, something hit me uniquely because I heard it. I was like, man, I hope, I hope that what I said afterwards is helpful too, but <laughs> the word of God has power when we hear it. And sometimes hearing a larger chunk of scripture, understanding the context a little more, it draws things to our attention that we didn't see before. He does it through the church body. So let's develop a love for his word and a sensitivity to it. Let's pray, God, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Let's say things like, oh, how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day long. Let that be true. Let's develop a regular pattern of healthy responses to the word. Let's internalize the truth. What does this mean? Not, how do I feel about this? What does this mean to me? No, 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 no. What does this mean? What did God say? What is this teaching me about him? What does this teach me about me? The Bible is a mirror that shows us God's glory and our sinfulness. It does it all the time. What does this teach me about me? How should my thoughts and actions be shaped by these truths? Internalizing the truth. That's what meditating on the truth is. It's chewing on it. It's allowing the word to take root in us. And then seeking God's strength. Tell him, God, I want to do this. I, I purpose to walk in obedience to your word here. Strengthen me to do it by your grace. Give me a love and a longing for you and your word. That is what we should walk away with from the text in front of us. Please, let's bow together for a word of prayer and ask the Lord to help us with this. Father, as we have opened up the word of God, I pray that the spirit of God would have impressed these truths deeply on our hearts. Father, help each of us as we sit here today to ask those probing questions. What does this mean? What does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about myself? How does this shape the way I should think and act? May each of us cry out to you, Lord, help me to love your word. Help me to submit to your word. Help me to apply your word. Help the word to change me. Father, if there's somebody here this morning who does not know the Lord Jesus as their savior, whatever their access to the truth has been, may you press upon their hearts the great need to go to someone who has the gospel message available and to ask them the truth so they could take the word and show them who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and why it matters to them personally. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Please, let's take out our hymn books and turn to hymn. 336 and as we are turning there I want to encourage you if you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord as your savior and you maybe you've been coming to the church for 20 years and you don't know the Lord as your savior maybe it's the first time 
please don't hesitate to reach out. Say, Pastor, I don't understand salvation and I need to talk to somebody. I'll be glad to meet with you today, right after church. Or if you're a lady, to get you connected with my wife or another lady in the church. Maybe you want to set up a time this week to meet and to talk about what's going on. Do that. Don't, don't hesitate. I will respond to your email, okay? I will respond to your call. I will do it. If I don't, then I didn't see it. <laughs> Send it again. I will respond. It might be that you say, I'm a believer, and I, I'm, I'm fearful that my heart has become calloused, and I'm concerned about that, and I need encouragement. Well, reach out again. I'd be glad to pray with you, talk to you, try to encourage you any way that I can. And uh, we need the Lord to work in our hearts. Please, let's stand together and let's sing 336, My Hope is in the Lord. We'll sing all four verses together as we close out our service today. Please come and close us in prayer. And I hope that tonight uh, you'll be able to join us again. We do have a business meeting after the service. The agenda uh, was posted a couple weeks ago on the bulletin board near the offices. And also the financials for uh, 2023 are available. So um, if you want to pick that up before you leave uh, for any discussion that we have tonight, please do that. And I'm looking forward to a wonderful service tonight. And uh, just the Lord working in our hearts. Please close us in prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to come and hear your word being spoke. We thank you for our pastor that preaches the, the word. I pray that it might use us to be a light to our friends, our neighbors, our community, our co-workers, Lord, that we might be a, be a beacon for you to so that there's a difference in us, that they, there is something they want and that they need and give us the opportunity to be able to show them your great sacrifice and your cleansing of our sins, Lord, and be able to see them get saved someday, Lord. Just so thankful for everything you've done for us, Lord. I pray again that you may continue to put a shield around this church, Lord, and protect the people in it, keep us from harm, and keep us safe and free and be able to come and read, our, read your word, Lord. Well, thank you again for all you've done for us. Amen.